Hello everybody, thanks for tuning in to the show. Today we're going to be talking about where is the unconscious mind? I usually keep mine in my sock. My name's Chris Sutton, this is Mental Conversations. I'm not sure I can be so absent-minded Take a good look, take no notice, don't be blinded and we're rolling. Um, so, <laughs> right, I'm sat here in our fabulous studio in Leeds with the wonderful Viv Buckland. Thank you for coming into the studio. No problem, it's always a pleasure. Who are you? <laughs> I want to, uh, let's not get esoteric about this, but I would just so that people know, we're going to be talking today about um, where is the unconscious mind. So um, I wanted you to just let us know your um, expertise, let's say. Expertise, okay. Uh, who I am is one of life's great mysteries. Yeah. However, I am a trainer of neurolinguistic programming. I've been a coach for several years, and as part of that journey, also did something called MBIT coaching, oh, right. which is about embraining. And I suppose the interest in the unconscious mind comes from a lot from NLP, but also from that embraining stuff, which is very interesting. Yeah, it sounds uh, quite highbrow. No, it's not highbrow. Uh, completely the opposite. Well, for, for me, it's completely the opposite. I think I think Grant Suzlou, who uh, originally came up with it, might think it's more highbrow. But for me, it's actually, as we've become cleverer, we've become less wise. Right. We've lost touch with everything that the unconscious does. And it's, um, it's fascinating to get back in touch with it again. Yeah, okay. That's enough for me in terms okay, of cool. like so. I, the fact that you you've you've studied it, looked into this kind of thing, um, I just think it's a fascinating question. I've seen you talk about it before and really enjoyed it. But um, so we're going to talk about where is the unconscious mind? Mm. Where should we start? Do you want me to have a guess? Yeah, go on. <laughs> guess guess for me. Where is it? <laughs> I so obviously that, that being the title, I've thought about this and I. I had Did you think about that consciously or unconsciously, Chris? Uh, I have thought about it consciously ah. on occasions. That, um, might that, have been that, a mistake. that was the mistake, yeah. <laughs> because, but so, so I've thought about this a lot in terms of like where your thoughts come from and things mm. like that. Um, and I'd always thought, well, I, and came to the realization or the understanding through learning, I suppose that you know we don't necessarily choose our thoughts and or our you know it's like where does that thought come from um so anyway where does the thought come from well i'm not, i don't know the answer to that but i but it but i do think it kind of comes <laughs> in it, it essentially probably is your unconscious it must be coming from somewhere deep down but it is that where is it um physically though where i actually got to eventually was that uh consciousness is perhaps in every part of your body. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's interesting that what you used was the expression deep down. And deep down doesn't imply that it's in your head. No, that's right. It implies that it's somewhere else. Yes. Uh, and often the language that we use gives away some of those things that we aren't consciously thinking Ooh. about where things are. <coughs> uh, I mean, if you, if you think about it, you, you can only receive information from your five senses. That's mm-hmm. how your brain receives everything that's going on. But you're not conscious of most of that. In fact, scientists now think your 
unconscious is really running 95% of what happens. Your conscious is, is only kicking in 5% of the time. Wow. Because it's, it's not, it's actually not that versatile. Yeah. It can only do a very small number of things at any one given point. So your head brain, mm-hmm. the thing that we all think of as the brain, is a, is a really clever thing. It's got billions and billions of neurons. Uh, and it's the thing that is rational. It's the thing that works things out. Yeah, okay. But it's not the only thing with neurons. Uh, and it makes sense that if you're using touch to receive information, you know, when you, when you touch the table or, you, or your pen, mm-hmm. where's the information coming from? Are, are you looking at it knowing that it's smooth? Or is it coming from I suppose the neurons <clears throat> in your fingertips? It's, it's, it's a mixture, isn't it? Because I suppose you, you have an expectation of what something's going to feel like based on... Yeah, have you ever done one of those things with, with, with the kids where you get them to close their eyes and then put their hand in something? Yeah, I've done and, it at the and museum. And I, yes, yeah. and you don't always guess right, do you? No, that's right. Same as with smell as well, actually. There's a thing yes. at the museum um, in Leeds where you can... Um, where there are, you know, there's a little... Um, there's obviously something inside a little box and you smell it. And you're kind of like, it, sounds, it smells really familiar, but... Yeah, without the context of something else to... Yes, you can't. It's very hard to... I think it was... The, the one I particularly remember, there were two. There was one was cut grass, like, and the other one was chocolate. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure I thought one of them was like apricot or something. You know, like, I was way, way off. But uh, Yes, yeah, so, so what's going on is your five senses are receiving information, and um, if you turn one of them off, then the type of information that you're receiving doesn't calibrate in quite the same way. Mm. When you're doing that, when you're smelling those things and going, oh yeah, cut grass or apricots in your yes, <laughs> yeah, cut apricots, um, cut apricots, great, <laughs> interesting, yeah, interesting the way your mind looks. Um, what's what's going on is you've not got all of the same information. So are you consciously deciding what that smell is, or are you unconsciously deciding what that smell is? Mm. And actually, is it all coming from your head brain? So what we know as neuroscience in the last sort of fifteen years has moved on. They've started sort of stirring organs around in bits of scientific soup and okay. counting neurons, neurons being those things that transmit information. Right. Uh, so what they found is, apart from having billions of neurons in your head, and having neurons all over your body, sending information, you've got hundreds of thousands of neurons in your heart. And you've got millions of neurons in your gut. So you've got as many neurons in your gut as the cat has got in its head brain. Oh, see this, this, and I'm going to use an expression you're going to like now. This blows my mind because that, <laughs> Which one? yeah, <laughs> the mind in my head, I think, because I've heard you say that before, and then thoroughly embarrassed myself in quite in a meeting with some quite important people where that was my feedback of what was happening around mental health in the organisation we work, and I, I just said. By the way, there's uh, there's enough power in your stomach to power a cat, and had some quite senior people looking at me. Interesting interpretation of look, that, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> looking at me in a very strange way. Um, but yeah, uh, that that is incredible, isn't it? And and then I like the the fact that you do. That made me think the first time I ever heard you say that that actually. CBT, so Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, talks about thoughts, feelings and behaviour. And even that, even the way I've said that then, thoughts, feelings and behaviour is in that order. 
well actually I think it for me it feels like it's feeling then thought then behavior or maybe even feeling oh, behavior this is thought take more than half an hour Chris. But, but you, but, <laughs> do you see what I mean like I yeah, because I for me I, I you know if I'm anxious about something or if it, it's generally that I'll see something or uh, or an incident will happen, but it's actually the feeling in my stomach that happens first, hundred percent for yeah. me. For me, uh, because that's faster. That that response is faster. So, if you think about fight or flight or all that mm. sort of anxious situation, you get a feeling, uh, yeah. usually in your gut, uh, in your stomach, or whatever. But, but basically in your gut, and that is transmitting information to your brain that goes panic. It's time to panic. We have to panic now. Yeah, uh, and your conscious mind is going waffle. Hang on. Yeah. Uh, so it's searching around. It's looking for it. For the thing to panic about. Okay. And it'll latch on to something to panic about because your gut has told it to do that. Mm. Which is a very interesting way of behaving because all they are, thoughts, are electrical impulses. Right. And one of the things that we don't always do, that we could do, is stop and ask ourselves if that thought was useful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you have a thought... And, it's a, and you stop and you go, oh, I wonder if that's useful. No, no, that's not useful. Uh, then why persist with it? If it's just an electrical impulse, you can choose to hang on to it or you can choose to let it go. Yeah. According to how useful it is. That's right. And, and some, some thoughts are stickier than others, they let's are. say, in terms of like the attachment or the, you know, even if... You, you know, I've heard people saying about if you're meditating, you know, try not to attach yourself to the thoughts. Try not to attach yourself to what's flying by in your mind. Um, notice it and let it yeah, go. Yeah, notice it and let it go. And I've always, it, that's always really frustrated me because I'm like, how? Like, how? You're not, okay, you're telling me to do it, but you're not telling me how. You know, and then... Um, Actually, uh, that, I mean, that's brilliant. That, that's where embraining really comes in, is right. a conversation. Okay. So, lots of people do as you do. Uh, so if, you, if you roll humanity back to when we were just barely functioning mammals, mm-hmm. uh, our unconscious, our gut reactions are all pre-programmed to protect us. So one of the prime directives of the unconscious mind is to protect. Mm-hmm. It's there to preserve life. Okay. That's what it does. That makes sense, yeah. Uh, which is why we have so many protective but unhelpful thoughts, uh, which come around being sort of anxious Oh. and fearful yeah. and if you look around for the evidence to see whether other people are fearful you can start to balance out whether or not what you're doing is specific to you mm-hmm. uh, or whether it is actually something you should run away from Right. Uh, again in CBT you often have that thing about the tiger mm-hmm. you know, I see a tiger and I run away well I see a tiger I think I'm in danger I feel afraid and I run away. Yes. If it's behind bars, you just think, oh, that's a nice tiger. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's contextually based, but we're pre-programmed to be uh, the unconscious prime directive is to protect mm. and preserve. So that's what it does. Uh, we're very much better at being unhappy than happy because we only release happy chemicals in small doses. Um, and that's one of the things that you can practice mm. releasing more happy chemicals for. But actually, all of these things that we're talking about are about chemicals. So when you're yeah. talking about, well, I'm trying to rationalise this, this thing with meditation, and I'm trying to work, you know, how, do, how do I do that? What you're doing is you're employing your conscious, rational brain, your head brain, to solve a problem 
that is not one it can solve because it is the rest of your unconscious mind that you need to get back in touch with. And as modern humans, we spend a lot of time being really clever mm-hmm. and looking at computer screens and, and thinking about things and rationalising things. Uh, and we've noticed that you know mental health has not necessarily improved as we have changed in that way. Yeah. And what we've lost touch with is how to communicate with the unconscious mind, how to recognise the single signals that it's giving us, and having recognised the signals, acknowledge that there is something there. So people who become unwell with stress mm-hmm. will often be getting physical signals. Yes. And what's happening is they're not listening to those. So can, we, can I give you a practical example? Go for it. So I had, um, um, I had my children... Was it day before day before yesterday? I just had a day of complete non-stop pressure, pressure, pressure. Something at work kicked off first thing in the morning, which took me two hours to resolve, and then it meant I didn't get all the other stuff done that I needed to do. I'm then taking some time off because my kids were on holiday, so um, so I was like I have to had to get it done that day. Then I was looking after them. Then something else happened. Then, you know, it was just literally one of those days. And in the middle of the night, I woke up with a banging headache. You know, and I was thinking, oh, no, in the morning, the kids are going to wake up at six and I'm going to be, like, struggling. So I then started panicking about not being able to get back to sleep. And thinking, I bet I'm that gonna... really helped as well, didn't it? Panicking around <laughs> yeah. not getting back yeah. to sleep. <laughs> no, <laughs> really didn't. So I, you know, and I was just, it was so hard. So I actually, you know, I actually took some paracetamol and drank some water. And when I woke up, it was more a dull, you know, dull ache. And actually, I had the day off then. So within a couple of hours, I'd relaxed a bit, and we were at the park, and you know, it was fine. But, but yeah, that was. You know, that was after a particularly stressful day. It was like my body telling me. Um, Part of the stress in that day, again, listening to the words that you use, are things like had to, have to. Yeah. It's quite a stressful statement. Because yeah. you're placing pressure on yourself uh, with the, I have to do this. It's not about I want to do this or I'm doing this. It's quite a judgmental thing, I have to. Mm. Who says you have to? And what would happen if you didn't do that? So it may be that the things that you were doing were really important, but sometimes it's not just the doing of the things, it's the way in which we perceive the yeah. things that are happening. Yeah. And actually that builds up as, as the day goes on, and you're consciously trying to keep on, contra- on top of all of that. And then when you actually give your body some space and time, you're at a bed, you're trying yeah. to sleep, yeah then it pays you back and it lets you know that you didn't treat it that well. Yeah. I'm very good at separating the mind and the body and what we need to do is reconnect the fact that the the two things are one. Yes. You can't take your your brain out and put it somewhere else Mm -hmm. and let it function separately. The body's not designed that way. I think think you're right in terms of... and, And the language thing, I've always been quite fascinated in... I've been to many, many, like, leadership sessions that you've... um, delivered and talked about language you talk about language quite a lot but it's so true that it's a, it's an indication it's completely indicative of your state isn't it of what language you use and it impacts on your state that's the really interesting thing it's the thing that people 
often forget, so they have a negative talk, a self-talk. So, yeah. so if you can only receive information through your five senses, the only thing you can really do internally is then uh, make pictures and hear sounds mm. and have feelings <clears throat> and smells and tastes. And there's only one other thing that you can do, and that's the thing that we all do, and that's self-talk. It's the way in which we talk to ourselves. Yeah. And that self-talk is often the thing that is causing all of the harm. But we're doing it to ourselves. Nobody's doing it to us. Yeah. We're in yeah. control of that. We just don't realise that we can actually control it. I think that, that last bit especially is key. I, don't, I think you're right. I don't think we do realise we have a choice to reframe it, reword it, you know, to change. To change and, and also <clears throat> to understand and accept the power of changing it. Mm. So we talked previously about um, turning some, changing language from being a negative into a positive and you'd be... Um, don't you, think of a blue tree. Yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. Because you have to think of a positive before you can process the negative. And I, so, and I've you'd be proud of me because even in like a work capacity, I now, if I, I was helping someone with a job application recently, and it said, why is it important to um, answer the phone, for example? And they they'd written, well, because if I didn't, then this would happen. And I was like, well, no, what you should put is, because if I answer the phone, then people are served properly and people are looked after and you get better... Co-. I was like, you know, that's completely different, isn't it? You're approaching that as, I do it as a positive, not because if I don't. And, like, the whole approach is very different. So, I, so I've, I've started trying to use that. Even yesterday with my kids, I was, rather than saying, don't go too far, because they're on their scooters, I was like... Stop at the bench. Stop really? at the first That's bench. Absolutely. You know, so like <laughs> telling them where to go, what to do, it's specific so positive direction. Yeah. And and they stopped at the bench. You know, don't go too far. What does that mean to a kid? Like <laughs> to a five-year-old on a yeah, scooter. Their concept of too far isn't the same as Yeah, it. and I was like, I think I said, like, you know, I think previously I have said things like, you know, I don't go where I can't see you. Well, don't go where you can't see me or go where you can see me is probably a better way of putting it. But I think that's a re- it's a really powerful thing to, for people to try and get their heads around is that you can change that. And I have that negative talk. I think mo- most people do. Oh, everyone has an aspect of it. It's how well we control it and, and choose to make it different to that. Everybody has self-talk. Some have more than mm. others. We're not all equal. Yeah. Um, and just sort of that example of helping someone with their application form and somebody who goes to the consequences rather than the opportunities. Yes, exactly. Because at our deepest level, uh, we have values and we have meta-programs that form our personality. Mm-hmm. And they're not conscious. We don't wander around thinking about what we have a value about, what we think is really important to us. But we function from those beliefs and those values all of the time. So if we have a program that runs that says, well, I have to avoid consequences, then what we do is we wander around avoiding consequences. And the conscious mind is there to give instruction to the unconscious mind. And that is something that we have really lost touch with that you, you can retrain your conscious mind. It's, simple, it's lazy. It runs on habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's not... Whilst there are millions of neurons in your gut, it's not a thinking brain. Mm. 
It's a functioning. It's instinctive. It's yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you you can't. It doesn't think about whether it's doing the right thing or not. It does the only thing that it knows okay, in yes. order to protect you. So yeah. unless you give it instructions to run a different program, uh, then it will always run the one it's done because it's a habit forming thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so if you want a new habit, you have to get into the practice. So spending three or four times a day deliberately choosing to look for positive things mm-hmm. and telling yourself about those positive things begins to create a new pathway for the unconscious and a new habit for the unconscious and it needs to get into that habit and once it's in that habit of course then that's your new habit yeah but it is there to follow instructions and uh, I talk to so many people who miss the point that you can actually give it it wants to follow instructions but you have to give it some. And the instructions that and the instructions that we've been giving to our unconscious minds this whole time. Largely, you know, we haven't been giving it any. That, that I think that is more of a problem <laughs> than giving it the wrong instructions. We've just been following its best resources. But if you wanted to use your best resources, would you use the brain of a cat? No. Not really. No. So why do you allow your gut, which is a non-processing, non-thinking? part of your unconscious uh, mind yes. to meet and serve all of your needs. Why do you allow that to drive how healthy your mind is? I, yeah, it, it, when we have these conversations, which I, I wish we had them more often actually, they, um, it, it, just, it really gets me thinking you know, about the practical things in my own life. And, and I'm sure other people listening you know, will think the same thing. Because it is incredibly stressful and exhausting to go through life when you spend a lot of time following hmm. your guts like you said it earlier thinking you know thinking with your gut that is another expression isn't it that you know oh, yeah. relates yeah, to the yeah. um but relates. we all do it that's the thing i mean we you know we all have that that instinct hmm. because we're mammals that that's what the unconscious mind is there to do and it, and it will always do that is there to preserve you while ever you don't give it instructions to preserve you in a more healthy way, Mm. then it will do what it's always done. And we must also have picked up so many habits through, from childhood and, you know, your your, um, beliefs of what might happen if this happens, then the knock-on effect is this. And And that's why it's fantastic to hear you talking about, you know, changing the language that you're using with your own children. Yeah. To actually give them those positives. Um, and express things in a different way. Yeah. Because they will have those habits from the earliest age. Well, and interestingly, you, so I know you've you've done um, you've studied hypnosis as well, haven't yeah. you? And um, I went to a hypnotherapy session once, where I was determined not to go under. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, and and the only thing I remembered the guy saying was like he was talking to me normally, and all of a sudden he went. Nobody knows why the nose knows what the nose knows what. Also, and I just was like, "What is he talking about?" But I didn't question it and start. So I was, I must have already been going into some kind of state or whatever because I didn't go. What? What did you just say? But you and I spoke to you, obviously not on the podcast, but I spoke to you after, like after that, and I mentioned it to you. And what's it? What's it called? It's, it's from Milton Erickson. So people who've studied neurolinguistic programming mm-hmm. uh, also study Milton model language. Right. Uh, so NLP is really interesting because there's meta model, which is digging under the surface structure to find the things that you've deleted. So mm. when you're 
you know, I'm banging my head against a brick wall. Well, that, that's, a, that's a metaphor, that's lovely, but specifically, what do you mean by that? So, yeah. so there's one aspect where you're digging underneath, and the other is about Milton model language, which is artfully vague. And for somebody like you and I, because mm-hmm. I think we have this in common, where we're quite processy in mm-hmm. terms of how we think. Yeah. There's this horrible moment when you're learning NLP and somebody says to you, you can't learn this consciously. At which point you look at them and you're like, how am I going to learn that then? You said something about that earlier. I was thinking, well, uh, yeah, okay, okay. Um, But all learning actually takes place at an unconscious level. Uh, When you learn to walk, you have to think about it. You fell over a lot as a child. Then you learned how to do that. You no longer think about how you walk. Mm -hmm. You just do that entirely unconsciously. So all learning does take place at an unconscious level and we'll often go through a conscious process in order to get that learning, but not always. And Milton is artfully vague. The whole point is you can't process it logically. So what it does, uh, Milton Erickson was a very famous hypnotherapist, very, very, very successful um, in terms of helping people manage pain and overcome a great number of issues. Okay. it's artfully vague language. What it is, what it does, is confuse the conscious mind to the point where the conscious mind is trying to work something out that can't be worked out, which allow the metaphors and the other uh, stories that are being told mm-hmm. to go straight to the unconscious, which can, of course, can deal with them immediately. Right. Because it, because that's what it does. So I think my, so my example then, I think. Does fit that in that I so because of this and because of a conversation we'd had which was similar to what you've just said um, a few weeks ago, my five year old has these kind of she has these tantrums where you just cannot get through to her. You know, she I, you just have to ride it out, you just have to wait, but it can take like 45 minutes and she's just kicking and screaming. And um, you know, 99% of the time, she's a delightful little girl. But uh, sorry, Isla, big girl. Um, <laughs> but um, she she would correct me on that. Um, but the other day she was having one of these tantrums, and I was say I usually I say things like "Daddy's Daddy's here," you know, um, you know, you can calm down when you're ready, take your time, and I'm trying to say things like that. And I just went, "There's a big green elephant by the window next to the back gate, or something like that," and and she just just for a second kind of stopped and looked at me like what and then carried on and I was like something happened there so I did I did it again I was like do you think window cleaners eat monkeys or something like whatever I just started saying random things and she really it really worked it like she didn't like calm down immediately but it was way faster and just every now and then I just threw something like that in and she just kept looking at me like what what did the angel say so what we would refer to that as is a pattern interrupt. Okay. So she's running a pattern and you've interrupted it. Yeah. Uh, and you can do that in all sorts of different ways, but that, that's, that's perfect because all you do is a distraction. Yeah. Uh, and she's not getting the response that she normally gets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hang on, what just happened there? That, that's not fitting with what I want. I'll go back to what I was doing, see if that works. And then, of course, it doesn't. So yes, I mean, all of these language patterns, language is a really interesting thing, and, and this notion that you can break a pattern, that's just evidence to you mm. that any habit can be broken, you can distract it. Once you've distracted it, then what else can you do? Mm. So it's a, yeah, so it's a great technique for using. I think that 
I think that's one of the key things that I'm going to take away from this is is that thing of and I haven't we've had these conversations like lots of times or I've listened to you talk and things but I've ne- that's never sunk in for me properly that when I have that gut feeling mm-hmm. there it is again um that I have a choice whether to listen to it or not you know like it's not nece- the thing to do is to notice it yeah and and then ask what message is trying to give you yeah what is it that it wants you to know yeah because it's trying to tell you something helpful uh sometimes in an unhelpful way but it's trying to tell you something helpful mm. and it's finding out what that message is what that positive intention is behind the behavior because i'm assuming then that what will happen in terms of like building these um pathways new pathways is that you um so say it was i don't know in fact, you know, because you've been instrumental in this for my in my world, public speaking. Mm-hmm. So now I do a lot of public speaking. Whereas three years ago, you know, you, I wouldn't have done it for a thousand pounds. There's just no way I'd have got up and stood in front in yeah. front of a group of people. <clears throat> so my so that feeling now that I have, there's still a you know an, an anxiety of like I think most people would feel before speaking to a group of people. But there's also excitement and I and there's also the knowledge that I hold that I've done this before and I enjoyed it and it was great and it was it was actually fun. You know, so those those things the you know, I kind of, I feel like that has kind of reprogrammed. So like so I so then that feeling that I used to get doesn't exist anymore or it's massively lessened. Yeah. You know and, and no, that's right, that's exactly how the new habit works, it, it gives you that set of new messages. Uh, the only thing I would say on top of that, that change that you've made is when you say, I still have that feeling of anxiety, notice it in a different way. What you have is a feeling. What specifically yeah. are you feeling hmm. that you're giving the badge anxiety to? Because the feeling isn't anxiety, that's a label that you're giving it. Okay. The feeling will be... So what's happening in your gut at that time? You know, is it is it butterflies? Yeah, it's but- it, yeah. So butterflies, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Is butterflies uh, is butterflies anxiety or might it be excitement? Because you're giving it a better label. If you gave it a label that said, "Oh, that's excitement." Do you know where it goes? So, like, I struggle with that. I I can appreciate it, but I struggle. I feel like I have a block that's that's like. And this might be a completely different conversation and a different podcast, but I feel like I have a block that says, "Don't get too positive about it. You're you're just setting yourself up for a fall there." So that's your self-talk. Yeah. Um, and you're choosing to allow your self-talk to say, "Oh, don't get too confident. You might you, something might go wrong." Mm. Um, well, what if it didn't? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like that. Actually. You know, the self-talk is just self-talk. It's it's not actually change. If you focus on a negative, mm-hmm. a bit like the story about me learning to ride a motorbike, I kept watching the curb, so I kept hitting it. Okay. Yeah. When I was trying to do a U-turn, it took me a long time, great deal of swearing, much, much frustration <laughs> for the instructor as well, who nearly lost the plot completely with me. Because uh, if you look at the curb when you're doing a U-turn, you're going to hit it. And right. I kept saying, "Don't look at the curb," and I kept screeching at him. I know that, thank you. Yeah. Uh, until another instructor said to me, oh, look at the car. I said, well, you want me to hit the car? No, 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 no. Uh, look at the car. And he didn't mention the curb, so I looked at the car, and all of a sudden I could do a U-turn. Wow. Uh, so you're using the self to, I'm yeah. going, don't look at the curb, don't look at the curb. 
while I'm looking at the curb, don't think of the blue elephant. Yeah. You know, think of the whole employee dad. You're telling yourself, oh, don't get too cocky here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what if you just told yourself, oh, really excited, this is going to be great. Yeah, just enjoy it. Just, just go enjoy and enjoy it. it. I could probably... I'm doing it this afternoon, so I'll try it. Because I'm do. I've got something this afternoon where I'm standing in front of a big group of people and presenting for like forty-five minutes. So, um, <laughs> so I'll try. So I will try it literally today. And um, yeah, um, we've we've run out of time. It's it's incredible how it is. Yeah. So you'll have to come back on and we'll pick the conversation up again or talk about something something completely different. But um, what can you? What's your social media? I know you're on, you're on Twitter, aren't you? Uh, oh, no, well, now you're asking me. It's like asking me my phone number. I don't know. That's I can put it, I, I can put it on I'm sure afterwards. you'll stick a link to it That's when fine. you stick your podcast I'll out. I'll put it on afterwards. <laughs> well, look, thank you so much for coming into the studio again and taking the time. I, I, I really love talking to you and I learn a lot. I'm sure there's people out there scratching their heads but really thought-provoking stuff and then they're going, right, I might try and make some differences, make some changes to be more positive. We can all make small changes. Exactly. Thanks ever so much, Ruth. Well, that was interesting stuff, wasn't it? Thank you again to Viv for, uh, for coming into the studio, and thank you, you guys out there, for listening. promised I'd check it out for you. You can follow Viv uh, on Twitter, Coaching and Mentoring Services, and that's at behaving underscore as underscore if. Behaving as if. <laughs> like it. Um, yeah, thanks, you guys out there, for listening. Uh, please follow me on Twitter at Mental Comms, on Instagram at Mental Conversations. Please, please, please rate the podcast so we can try and spread this further to other people. And uh, another episode will be moving its way to you soon. Cheers, guys.